Hey there, this is Fred Pissarro, and you're listening to Metal Matters, the official Gimme Metal podcast, where we explore all things new, some things classic, but all things heavy, with my co-host, Michael Berdan. Today's guest is Brian Funk, frontman of Thou, the Louisiana-based sludge doom favorites who kicked in the door by applying old-school DIY and eventually blossoming into one of the bigger names in heavy music today. Formed in 2005, the band's catalog contains literally dozens of releases, including several splits, full lengths, and even some collaborative albums with The Body and Emma Ruth Rundle the latter of which makes up some of their most recent output. Hi, sir. How are you? Are you doing all right? Doing pretty okay. Just uh, hanging out with a with an old dog that's uh, super anxious and uh, a new young pup that's less anxious. And uh, they're uh, together. You put them. They're really uh, they're really cute, and they're slowly melting my mind. And uh, you know, this like I know, like I don't have any kids, but this is ex- this is what having kids must be exactly like. One hundred percent. Like having yeah. dogs and children are the same thing. Yeah, yeah it's absolutely. Yeah, that's what I hear. And then in, in the background here, in the background there, you hear a um, friend of the show and uh, our guest for this week, longtime member of Val, vocalist Brian Funk, and he's calling in from his record store in New Orleans, Sisters in Christ. What's up, man? How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So I don't know. We're just going to like, um, I figured, you know, Val, I feel like Val is just always in seemingly always going even I, I think it's you know a combination of you guys going out and then the way that you release record i mean it feels like it, it feels like an onslaught ever since like i first heard about you guys which is probably i want to say 15 16 years ago at this point yeah and last and i think the last record um was the emma ruth rundle collaboration is that's correct yep that was the last like actual record it's funny you say that you feel like we are doing a lot of stuff because i feel like we're not doing shit like i feel like you know really since uh heathen which is probably like 2014 i think uh yeah. we've been real slow about things like it took us like two years to write the record after that i think we're about to hit two years since we've written a song with the last stuff we wrote was all that emma stuff i feel like we're slackers <laughs> I don't think anybody who looks at your, at, at the at the fucking um, discography is going to say that you guys are slackers. Let's be real. I just, you know, it's like, uh, I mean, I get that, but it, it, it's like we're not getting much done and we're not get we're certainly not getting things done like as quickly as maybe we have in the past. I mean, there's a lot there's a lot of reasons for that, like practical and 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 creative and whatever. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, for me, like, uh, like, I don't know how it is for you, Michael, but like, 
like definitely with me and Val, as I get older, it feels like there's maybe an expiration date on this band for me, but there's still a lot of stuff I want to do with it or still a lot of things I feel like we could be doing with it. So there's like a, an urgency to get a lot of stuff done uh, quickly. And I don't know. And, and also like, I, you know, I get bored real easily with it. So like by the time a record comes out, I, like I'm already way, by the time the Emma record came out, I'm kind of over it. You know what I mean? That record, we had recorded the record like a year, maybe more before it came out. So we'd already toured, we'd already toured it. Like, you know, like I'm, I'm ready to move on to like the next phase of things. I think about the string of releases that you had going up to uh, to Vegas, right? So you had kind of quiet uh, as far as activity goes for a few years. And then you had that one summer where it was just release after release after release, then an LP. And then you had, you know, another like kind of like one year break. Yeah, the Emma LP comes out, which had already been recorded. And also the um, now the Emma EP as well. The uh, How long did it take, do you think, to like, make that whole body of work, you know, from Summer of Thou through now? Yeah, I mean, you know, all the stuff around Magus, it's like, that's all smoke and mirrors for us. Magus took about two years to finish because we were spread out all over the country. We creatively, we were sort of, sort of hit a block where we weren't really sure where we wanted to go with things or what we wanted it to sound like. Uh, so that record just took a long time. All the other stuff with it, you know, there was like a a split with Ragana, which was like, we had recorded that stuff. Those were just two like songs we had written between Heathen and Magus that just didn't get, you know, just a couple of us wrote it while the other couple of us were on the other side of the country. So something we just kind of had in our back pocket. The split with here is all those Nirvana covers. Like that's another thing. Like we, we went in and recorded Rhea Sylvia, all of Matthew's solo stuff. So it wasn't like we had to write that stuff. We just, we just reconstructed it as thou songs. You know what I mean? So that was like a quick, we go in the studio for a couple of days and a few of us recorded like the whole Rhea Sylvia thing, all those Nirvana songs. We, we just already knew them. We just recorded them just to record them. And then we had them for that split. And then, and then the same thing with the, with the Rhea Sylvia stuff. We just had it, you know, we went, we just went in and did it and we just had it kind of in our back pocket. The, the acoustic thing in the, in the noise record, you know, those were sort of like real kind of last minute things that we did after Magus had even it already been recorded. It was sort of like, um, we were kind of talking about how we wanted to release things. And I had some scheme about let's do a bunch of, you know, let's do a bunch of records leading up to the full length. I mean, for, you know, for a lot, for fun, because maybe people would get people who are, who are into that would get excited about it um, to stretch creatively a little bit, to do some stuff that we had talked about doing before Magus, but we didn't get to it. So then we just kind of pushed it in after Magus. I, I don't know. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's like we, we're recording all this stuff in these, in these batches and then we just kind of release we release it and at some point it's just like all right we got to get all this crap out so it's like we just start kind of parceling it out you know another another thing with that was like um with all those eps leaning the magus we the original plan was you know enough and really i should have pushed a bit more to get these these dumbass labels in line a little bit but we should have pushed to like not have the sort of typical grand band pronouncement of, oh, we're releasing this and we're releasing that and blah, blah, blah. Internet, listen to us and pay attention. What we wanted to do was just to like quietly put those things out without saying anything about it and just let people find it. And every month for like three, four, five months, there would have been a new thing out. And we had been saying for years, oh, the, the full length we're doing after Heathen is Magus, blah, blah, it's Magus, this and that. It wasn't like we're like being secretive about it. Like we said what we were going to do and we did that thing that we were 
were going to do, but it would have been a lot more fun to have released all that other stuff sort of kept people guessing as to like what it was, if that was the record. Cause that's, that's how it started. When we, we put out uh, house primordial without making any announcement about it, we just put it on the band camp it was out and people were like, Oh, this is the new Val record, blah, blah, blah. And they were, you know, it was like, they didn't know what to make of it because it was such a extreme departure from stuff. We had done sort of extreme departure from stuff we had done. And that was the fun of it. You know, that was, that was like the whole, you know, and if we, if we'd kept that up with those other two EPs and then finally released the full length, I think that would have been a bit more uh, engaging. And, and the same thing with this, you know, the, the Emma record, you know, there was some stuff with the rollout for that where uh, it wasn't Sigur Bones's fault. It was fucking dipshit pressing plants fault. Stuff got bungled so badly that it, I mean, it screwed up all sorts of things and created a lot of stress. And then, you know, even screwed up the sort of like release schedule and sort of kooky plan I had for that one too. <laughs> got screwed up. I don't know. All the stuff, the way we put stuff out, like the way that I look at it now is how can we do it in a way that's like interesting and fun and creative? And how, and how can we like plug into this sort of like cookie cutter label way of doing things, but subvert that a little bit, you know, especially with like the Emma record. I was, I was really trying to like figure out how we could do it in a way that was fun and exciting for the people that would be buying the records. Then it, did I answer the question? What was, what was the question? What, did you ask, what were you asking, Michael? I, you, I mean, you answered like you answered like ten of my questions, and so I think I think I think we're done. All right, hit hit delete, delete it. I guess you know I, I you know just taking back I, you know I'm taking back to like the first time I heard of you, and then very soon after that first time I saw you guys play, which was a uh, very specific. I, I, and you'll probably be able to give you the date better than I will remember it. Was it like 2007 Knitting Factory? I think it was like... Or, or 2008, 2007 or 2008. Yeah, that Sun show. Yeah, Sun, Tony Conrad, and you. And I, and I think it was like Grim Robes. It was just the two dudes, just uh, Greg and yeah, um, which is wild. You know, coming back to those days and like there's definitely a, a period where you guys were coming up a lot more and then, you know, like making sure to get in like an ABC, you know, real play. And, you know, like we would do a show together and all that kind of thing, but take me back, take me back in general about like how you got into all of this kind of music and like, you know, where that come from. Did it, I mean, is it as simple as saying, yo, Fred, I grew up on acid bath and crowbar and all that shit, or was there a different way? Uh, I mean, I, I definitely didn't listen to any of that stuff, but any of that, like, Oh, New Orleans, that New Orleans, no, absolutely not. I mean, I'd seen, I hate God several times when I was a teenager, just cause they played all the time, but I thought they were garbage when I was a kid. I mean, they were, you know, I probably start, I probably started seeing them when I was um, 16 or 17 and like first started going to hardcore shows. Cause they play a lot of the, like hardcore shows and then they play, um, you know, they were one of the go-to local bands for some of the bigger shows. So I saw them a lot of times, but I mean, they were fucked up, you know, like those shows, it'd be fun for like, you know, it'd be fun for the sort of like Mike commentary between songs and, you know, kill yourself, give me a dollar, you know, all that stuff was like, all that stuff was hilarious, but like playing wise, it, it shows always seem to fall apart. It, it really wasn't until God, I'd have to go back and look at the dates, but like, 2010 or 2008, 2009, something like when thou when thou started playing a couple shows with them, uh, they were all on probation or something for getting pulled over, and so they were all like pretty pretty clean. You know, they may they were maybe drinking a little bit, but um, you know, the old, they were doing like that fake weed, whatever that gas station weed is. <laughs> oh, that, you know, was it kratom or what is that? What is that? Shit? It, wasn't even, it wasn't even kratom. It was like some like weird herb that they could just okay too. 
K2, that stuff will like actually kill you. Yeah. Well, well that, you know, that was like pretty, pretty tame for, you know, I mean, whatever. So, so they, they were, they were awesome. They were tight. They were super tight. Uh, Mike was even funnier. I thought like more, you know, more, um, uh, eviscerating to like the audience people. Um, it, it was awesome. So like, uh, that, that period I, I started really liking them a lot. No, I didn't come up on this. I didn't like acid bath when, when I came up, I came up through punk and hardcore. So like acid bath had clean singing and I was not, I was not into that crowbar. I, I was kind of tangentially aware of, but I didn't really start listening to crowbar till we did the red, the cover on the Ray Sylvia record and, and that stuff I like. And then we, we toured with them not too long after that. And, and they were decent when we toured in terms of like the older, like kind of melodic stuff. I really liked a lot, but no, I mean, I, I came up through like punk and hardcore. So like, I didn't, I didn't like it in the metal stuff. My friends in high school were into metal. They, they got me into punk and then they all started getting into like talent and black sabbath and metal stuff and then i just i was i was sort of maybe rebelling against my friend group a little bit and so i was more into like earth crisis and uh zeo and you know whatever other vegan straight edge stuff i could find all the stuff michael listens to is a lot of the same stuff i born against and rorschach i mean i was just coming up on all, all the like punk stuff like Metal for me was like uh Rage Against the Machine I was into and then probably that's it. Uh, I'm su- I'm surprised you're not there's no like uh there's always bands in those mix there like I feel like I'm surprised someone like Dystopia never really made it your way or No, I mean I don't think I ever I didn't see Dystopia but um Talk is Poison played out here with with Gary's old band Hogjaw. I mean that's the thing like um I'm I'm like a bit younger than all those dudes. Uh, like Gary's probably the closest one of my age, and he's he's still probably a few years older than me. So like that just wasn't really my scene. And those bands that were around of that time that I would see all the time, Hogjaw, Ice Pick Revival, uh, this band Limp Vessel. The ones I liked were the ones that were sort of crossing over more towards hardcore. They were still kind of metal, but it was like the stuff that was metal was like the stuff these bands that were like a few years younger than me or maybe, maybe about my age. And, and they were all dipshits. They were all these fucking knuckle dragger chucklehead, like dumbasses. And I didn't like any of those people. The couple of people I, I kind of got to be friends with that were sort of in those bands or in that scene or whatever, I ended up falling out. I didn't like them. They were, they were, they were turds. You know what I mean? Like we, and we fell out for whatever reason. So like, I don't know, the metal stuff just didn't, um, it just wasn't really my thing. I mean, I don't, I don't think of thou is like necessarily a metal band. I mean, I know we, I know we technically play like metal ish sounding music, but I mean, I, I always think of us as like, a punk band or, or whatever. I mean, cause we just come from that scene and like, and like even those early tours really even up to like a few years ago when I was still booking stuff, like I, I'm not, you know, it's, I'm booking it punk style. Like I'm calling my friends and getting people I know to book shows for us. And I'm, I'm actively looking for bands that we want to play with to play with, not necessarily like probably <laughs> usually not metal, but you know what I mean? Like, unless there's some, unless there's some metal band that we're friends with or, or some band that we like or whatever, like we don't care about that. And like, we're not trying to like stay in some, we're not trying to stay in our lane in terms of like genres or whatever. Like it's, it's, it's definitely more interesting to just play with, with people that we're, that are interesting for us and and play in, in spaces and to crowds that are, are more interesting rather than like genre specific. Something that I find to be really cool about you guys is like, there's this illusion that when your band reaches like a certain kind of 
a certain kind of level, is on like a label, has a certain kind of tour history, you're required to have a booking agent, that you're required to have like a degree of management. Um, but maybe not that, but like definitely at least a booking agent. From what I've always known of you, you've always handled all of that yourself on top for thou on top of booking shows for other bands i look at thou's merch table and like it's not so much a merch table as it is like you know kind of like an anarchist bookstore and yeah there's this illusion that we're supposed to be kind of like peddling our wares in order to like get by like going to a show is supposed to be like going to a mall for for the band. And that just doesn't seem to be the way that you guys have ever carried yourself. Uh, uh well, in terms of like the booking stuff, that's probably not going to last for much longer just because I'm like burnt out with it and, uh, and burnt, burnt out with it, mainly like dealing with my band burnt out with it. Like that aspect of it is like difficult. I mean, I don't know how you guys do it. Like, uh, I mean, I guess it's easier for you. It's just a two of you or two, two and a half of you, but, we're lazy. We have a booking agent. I think we're going oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll probably kind of hopefully take a little bit of a backseat with some of that stuff soon when, when we get back to it or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the merch table stuff, I mean, I don't know. Like, we're, I want to sell records, but like, I want to sell the records because like, I'm, you know, I'm proud of the material put out. Uh, I don't want to sell like a zillion t-shirts, you know, like we did that tour with, um, with Converge and Crowbar and that tour just like, it like sealed the deal for me in terms of like, I mean, our merch stuff's always been kind of like what, what, what it would have been, but like, and look, no disrespect to those bands. They're doing whatever they got to do for whatever reasons they got mortgages and kids and blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying this to like talk shit, but like seeing that fucking Jane Doe thing plastered on everything imaginable and every color you could possibly print it on. I hated it. I hated it. It's it's it just seems silly and like I would I just I cannot even imagine us doing that with stuff. Like it just seems so pedestrian to me. And then and then and a crowbar. We go on tour. We're on a tour for like two weeks, two and a half weeks, something. And granted, like they tour a lot. So like this tour is maybe just something in between a bunch of tours for them. But they didn't have any records. They didn't have a single record. I don't even know if they had a CD or they didn't know music, just shirts and like a million shirts, like a millions of shirts. It's like, I just can't, from the perspective of the person in the band sitting behind the merch table and having to look at this crap every night, that would just seem, I, I, I would just, it would be so demoralizing for me personally to be going on tour and just pushing t-shirts. Like I don't go on tour to like push our brand, even our records, like our records look like they look because I want them to look that way. But you might be hard pressed to find thou the word thou on our records a lot of times. So like, it's not about like having our logo plaster all over everything or like, or like having stuff to sort of like push the thou brand. Like I'm trying to push the thou discography. I'm trying to like push the art and even the shirts and stuff we have. Like I, you know, unless I'm like, lazy or like burnt out on ideas or something like the shirt's gotta like say something it's gotta either be you know it's gotta either make some bold statement or political or emotional statement or or something where we're like you know talking shit or or making fun of something or whatever like i don't want to just have a shirt with our fucking logo on who cares i don't know all stuff just seems like so from from an artistic point of view just like really boring i don't i don't know like i i 
I couldn't hack it like these other, like I don't know how these other bands hack it on the road going out you know what eight nine months a year whatever they do and like having this crap you know the stuff that they're selling like I don't I mean I don't know it's just like it's just stuff to appeal to sort of like it's stuff created to have a sort of like mass appeal or like appeal to like the sort of lowest common denominator and like I'm just not I would rather have a shirt that didn't sell at all that I thought was a cool shirt that I gotta look at this cool shirt every night and chuckle to myself and whatever like I would rather that than like just sell a zillion shirts. I mean, I got to say one of my one of my favorite shirts. Well, I, I you know I have I think I had two shirts from you. One of them was that one you know the, the one with the M16 that said "Talk to the cop." The one that I the one that I think is my favorite. It doesn't have that on it at all. It has just a bunch of screaming fans, and I think it says uh, uh, "Fuck Iron Maiden fans" or something like that. It says "Save Metal dot 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 Kill All Iron Maiden fans." <laughs> That's what. So yeah, I mean, like all the all those trolling ones too. I mean, I- well, you know, we we did another shirt. We did another shirt at the same time. It was like a picture of us or like me. I think it was like the one shirt where like a picture of me. It's all blown out, so you can barely tell it's me. But like I'm singing in a microphone, and there's a dude standing right behind me, taking a big old bong rip or something, and it says uh, "Save Metal, Kill All Valve Fans." You know, as much as I. I love metal and punk and all that. Sometimes it can be so goddamn self-serious and like uh, doesn't know how to have fun with itself, you know? And and I think that's, that's the irony there is it's, 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 so easily made fun of, you know? I mean, look, we, we're a serious band. Like we're a serious band that like writes serious music. Like we're not, we're not writing joke songs, even like the stuff we cover. Like I'm, I'd be hard pressed to think of even like a song that we've covered and we've recorded that is some kind of jokey bullshit song. Like we just don't do that. You know, there's nothing wrong with being self-critical and like that, that, that's like, that should be a requisite of being in a punk band. Like you, you have to sort of like take the piss out of yourself as much or harder than you would anything else. Like you have to be willing to like sort of self-criticize and self-critique and, and uh, you know, all these people out there think they can talk shit about us. Like, believe me, we can talk way more shit about us than anybody else can. Like people think they're going to talk shit about us. We'll, we'll take to the next level of thou, thou shit talking. I've been there. I've seen you do it. And, uh, uh, and it's, it's admirable. I could, I couldn't agree more with uh, the way that, that you think of this. I, Yeah, there's this whole thing in metal and hardcore, especially as you get older, where people can start to kind of like view it as like their career. And like, it's like, it's like some kind of job that you're like supposed to like take so seriously, or like it's your art that is like so precious. And, you know, making a, making a song that you believe in, creating a body of work that you can stand by, um, you know, for me, it's imperative. But like at the same time, it's look, I'm a 40 year old man with fucking, like neck tattoos like who like jumps around and like slaps himself for like a couple of bucks when a pandemic isn't going on you know like like this it's cool but like you know we're not fucking curing cancer out here you got to be able to to like look in the mirror and like laugh i don't think it's like a waste of time i think it's i think it's great that we get to have fucking peter pan gigs like Whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I, I always think of whenever I, I have like whenever I think about this, I have this conversation. I think of that true Norwegian black metal thing where Gall is sitting in that interview and he's just so self-serious and there's like 30 seconds of silence while they're asking him an in-between question. I, I just think of that. I'm like, who are these people? This is totally in- one thing I wanted to ask you, and obviously that's 
Bourdain is very much in this in this pipeline too. Is like, man, the whole you know between the body and like you know like the Emma Ruth Rundle stuff and all this other stuff, all the collaborate, all the collaborative stuff. Where did that come from originally from the body? And then you guys just kind of spin off from there. I mean, we were collaborating with Emily McWilliams pretty early on. Like she's been on uh, been on records since. Uh, Probably since after the first full length, she's been on, you know, every release she's probably on there somewhere. And then it was like the same thing. We get other friends of ours to just come in the studio and do little things. And then uh, the thing with the body was sort of the first full uh, collaboration. But I mean, you know, Michael can attest to how it is writing stuff with the body. It's like there, it's like less of, um, it's like less of having writing partners and more of having like um, two more instruments that you sort of have to figure out how they're going to fit in with stuff. I mean, not that they don't come up. I mean, they have great ideas and come up with all kinds of stuff, but they, but they're like they're more like producers almost than they are musicians. I mean, not that they're not playing their stuff, but like you know, like I'm 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 used to when you're writing stuff with people, like everybody's kind of bringing ideas, parts, musical parts to the table. Uh, and I say that as like, I'm not, a, I, I don't know how to play anything. I'm not a musician and like, whatever. So like, I'm, I'm probably, if anything, I'm, I'm more in the, in the, in the same boat as Chip and Lee or whatever, but um, they're like more like the idea guys and like the guys that'll have, you know, eat, and eat a, a lot like me too, in terms of like, it'll be more of like, Oh, this part needs to be like this, or this needs a sound you know, like the world is fucking ripping apart or this needs to say, you know, like it's, it's more kind of, um, abstract, abstract executive producer kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know for, I mean, for, us, I mean, we were, me and Andy were just talking about this. And it's like, for us, it was like, that was like kind of a jarring experience at first, but, um, it's definitely had a big impact on us in terms of, um, getting us out of our box a little bit and, um, and, and also being able to like, leverage the studio and the studio experience as like its own sort of like instrument or like, you know, sort of laboratory for experimentation. Like, uh, I don't, I don't, I mean, we, I think we were like slowly getting there. And then once we started doing some stuff with the body, it just sort of like pushed us a lot further. I mean, definitely for me personally, it's like opened up a lot of like ideas and, and, um, different, different approaches on, on how we can kind of create music or just get to the point of creating music. Have you, are you guys, you know, obviously with, um, with you guys, split, you guys are split across the, the States, right? Um, uh, everybody's in New Orleans except for Tyler. Oh, really? I thought I thought Mitch was in in LA still or whatever. No, he he moved he moved back. He moved back. Well, he moved to New Orleans like a year ago. Yeah, a yearish ago, something like that. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so we're we're. All, I wish I wish Tyler would move down here. If Tyler would move down here, if Tyler moved down here, we would probably get back on track real quick in terms of output because uh, probably our main obstacle in terms of uh, writing things is not having a weekly practice. I mean, right now it's kind of hard with the COVID stuff and like our, our practice space situation is not ideal for, um, I mean, it's like a tiny windowless room, like it's bad. And, and when we, and when we practice, we tend to practice for a long time. I mean, even if, if we were having weekly practices, they'd probably be like two or three hours. And, and then like when we do our stuff before tours, it's like all day marathon and stuff but um yeah i don't know if uh if he if he moved down we would that that weekly practice of like having a um you know having to bring something every week uh, 
you know, otherwise we all show up and kind of look like fools, um, like having material and having stuff to work on like that would, if we could practice every week, we would, we would be way back. At. And, and there's other stuff too, where like we talked about like um, relearning old stuff, you know, at this point we have so much mater- like backlog material, like relearning a good chunk of old stuff to where like when we go on tour any any night we can kind of pull out, you know, all kinds of stuff. Uh, right, right now we're kind of, li- we're kind of limited. Like we'll, we'll learn about 20 ish songs before a tour uh, so that we can just kind of move stuff around, swap it out for whatever, whatever we feel like that night. I, I would want to do like Pearl Jam or a veil or whatever, like where you could just, you know, those bands that can just like rip out any one of their songs from their discography, any cover they've ever done, like any, Oh, somebody, Oh, you, you want this song off the first right? You want this book? Like, yeah. And just play it. Like that would, that, that, that would be the ideal for me with Val if we, if we could get to that point, there's stuff in our catalog where like there's, there's songs we've never played live. There's a, there's a handful of stuff we've, we've only just have on the record. We've never even played it. You know, what's um, really, first of all, sh- shout out Yaucha, shout out, Tyler is a fucking beast on the drums and like low key, like one of the most underrated dudes. And uh, how old is that guy? I always call him little Tyler, to be honest with you. He's young. He's young. He's like, he's like 16 or 17. <laughs> oh, he's, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. 13 or 12. I think something like that. I think he's, I think he's like late, late twenties now. It's, it's hard. It's hard for me. Like I can't, once people are below a certain age, I, it's just all, it's like, I don't know. I think he, I think he's in his late twenties though at this point. I mean, oh sorry, with that with that mustache, he's got he looks like almost like seventeen. He needs to get rid of that mustache. That mustache is terrible. That's got it's got to go. Uh, yeah, we I mean we've known Tyler since he was fifteen or sixteen. He he was doing booking our shows in Nashville when he was like in high school. So we've known we've known him for a long ass time. I met him when he was when he jumped on with um, mutilation rights, and um, that's when he started to show me the uh, the Yalcha stuff and the Narwhal stuff too. Actually, yeah, that's how we know him for playing with Narwhal. Yeah, I guess so. You know, with the guys around, you, have you guys done? Have you guys done anything like uh, you know, like written anything? Nothing like that. We haven't written a song since in. We haven't written a song in two like two years at this point the last stuff the last stuff we wrote was the record with emma which was like uh we did it in the in spring 2019 and then we recorded it by august 2019 we had recorded all that stuff we we wrote we wrote it we spent a couple months like writing it kind of going back and forth we toured it and then right after some tour we all met up again practice maybe i think we came up with a couple more songs and then uh recorded and then it took you know sacred bones just took a little while to get it out and then there's release schedule stuff where it kind of got pushed back and then COVID happened and I got pushed back and the press, the pressing plant fucked it up and I got pushed back once or twice. So it's like, it's just been, you know, whatever. And then, um, I mean, there's, there's newer stuff that we've done since then that we put out a couple of covers, but, um, I mean, I don't count that, you know, what a bad religion cover. And we just did a cover of so fucking awesome. We just did a cover of a, our engineer, James Witten, the guy that records like the vast majority of our stuff. Me and him have been pals since high school. And he was in a punk band in high school called uh, Ginger Quail. They, they have a song called Anarchy Stupid. And uh, I, I, me, I basically, me and James, like one of these things, I, mean, I convinced James to relearn some parts and me and him kind of hashed out like basic bit of the song. And we got the rest of that. I just kind of overdub on it or whatever. But um Oh, it's, it's so good. It's so good. I'm so, I'm so pumped for this cover to come out because it's, it's fucking hilarious. 
But yeah, so we haven't done anything new. We've been, that's what I'm talking about. We're fucking, we're, we're totally, we're total slackers. We're working on new stuff now, but like, who knows? I mean, we're just starting to get into new stuff. So who knows? I mean, I've got, I've got, Michael knows, I've got like a secret thing I've been working on off and on for like two years. And like some of that slowly kind of percolating into like thou proper. But um, in terms of having actual releases come out anytime soon, I mean, I don't know if, if somebody hits a spurt, that's the thing. Whenever there's like some creative spurt, Matthew especially goes through these where he'll just like bang out four or five songs. But, um, you know, unless there's some spurt, it's going to be, it's going to be a long time of us kind of beating our heads into the wall to like get it out. Yeah. I know the feeling. Is there like a primary vow songwriter? Do you feel is it? Uh, I mean, it's been Matthew and Andy in the past. Uh, like traditionally they will write a song at home and come to practice with a, here's the song. Right. And then we'll kind of say, okay, let's move this and do that and whatever. And we'll do it this many times and do that that many times. That's traditionally, or, or sometimes, uh, if they, we have a practice and they come and they, they don't have, Oh, I don't have a song, but I've got these two riffs and any other guy. Oh, oh, I've got two riffs and y'all, they go together. It's perfect. And they, and stuff kind of works out that way, but we don't, we almost never will like jam. Maybe they were doing that a bit before I joined, before I joined thou, when they were doing, uh, in between the demo and when they recorded, like when I came on tyrant was recorded other than the vocals tyrant, the first record was done it was everything was recorded but in between that demo and that first record when they were sort of going from being a post-rock band to like a heavier band they were practicing like five six nights a week i mean they were going to practice to just hang out you know what i mean and they'd they'd fuck around and practice and come up with stuff and and whatever so like that period maybe they were there was a bit more of just like drinking doing drugs or whatever and and like farting around guitars and coming up with stuff, but, um, that just hasn't been our style. I mean, we also don't really write in the studio and we come up with a little bit of stuff in the studio if we have time and we, and the inclination, but like when we go in the studio too, it's like, we, we, we know the songs at that point and we more or less know how we want them to sound. We go and record them and then we kind of do all the little fun stuff with it. So would you say that you're recording when you're recording is, uh, it's all it's all business. You just go in there and bang it out quickly. Because I know some people like to do some like even not even writing, but like experimentation. Or, you know what I'm saying? Just like manipulate the songs or whatever. Yeah, I mean we're getting more into that. Um, I mean for us, it's usually like um, let's say it's like a full length. We might book five days with James. And so the basic tracking, you know, even if we have like 10 or 20 songs or whatever, like the tracking gets done, we, we live track everything, right? So the guitars, bass, drums, that's all them playing it live. Probably a handful of takes, if most, per song. And that's like two days, maybe. Maybe a day. If, if they were going consistently, it would maybe be a day. But that's that's quick. They, they do that pretty quick. And then somebody will go in and maybe punch in and fix a couple parts, whatever. And then the rest of the time is me doing vocals and them doing overdubs. And then us figuring out if we want to do other stuff or, you know, like Magus, there's a little bit of like noise experimental stuff mixed in there. And it's, I mean, I don't want to say it's all business because we're in there hanging out and it's like us hanging out with James who I've, I've known James since I was like 15. They've known James at this point for like 13 years. So like, you know, we're just hanging out 
you know, whatever. Well, we got to start winding this down. But before uh, before we do, you're sitting in the back of your record store, Sisters in Christ. Tell us a bit about the store. I know that you uh, it's run as a collective, right? Not so much anymore. I mean, it was um, and even even when even it wasn't run in a sort of like collective like I like I came to the record shop from volunteering at the anarchist info shop, the Iron Rail, which was a collective run space. That's a collective run space. Everything's consensus and blah, blah, blah. This was like me and my friend Michael, uh, Michael Moises, opened up this space. I mean, more or less because the Iron Rail as a collective couldn't needed a new space. We'd gotten priced out of the Bowery in downtown, needed a new space, and people were just dragging so much in terms of pulling the trigger on an actual place. Me and him were like, all right, well, we're just going to do the records. We're just going to find a spot and do it. And so we did that uh, at, you guys played Gaza. Gaza Gaza was like a uh, it's like a club uptown on Fred Street. And so when we started the shop, we were in we were in that space for like the first like year and a half two year and a half two years and then we eventually moved into the space we're in now on magazine street and we've been here for like going on five years i think we've been here since 2016 are you close to um are you close to what's his name's bar pepper's bar yeah, yeah, block blocks away. Labonton Roulette. That bar, that bar is so weird to me. People ask me about that all the time because of like the metal connection. But and I've only, I mean, granted, I've only been over there. I don't drink, so I've only been over there a handful of times. It seems like just like a standard uptown, like college, college kid frat sorority type. One hundred percent is like that. I'm asking personally because I shot like when I did that when I did that New Orleans documentary, we shot a bunch in there, and we shot a bunch with Pepper there too. Yeah, it's a fun. I mean, it's a bar in New Orleans. Like, there's a million. I mean, for me. It's like, I don't, I could care less. It's boring. Like I did a couple of shows over there. At one point, at one point, there's like a booker person there that was like cool with me doing early all ages stuff and a back in whatever that back room is where they have like a sort of performance space. I did like Uzi Suicide, you know, the band from Santa Cruz. It's like people, people that went on to be in, in disgust and permanent ruin. I think, but I think Uzi Suicide Player, then maybe, maybe one other show. I mean, it was a fine space. I mean, it was a space. I mean, for me, for me, like as a show booker or a band person, I'm kind of looking for more interesting thing spots than that in terms of like the kind of places that I want to book at or the kind of places that I want to play at even even more so. Booking is kind of, I mean, I'm not, I kind of stopped doing booking half-ass stops, not really, but so I don't know. I mean, that stuff I'll sort of make conce- concessions if it's easy. Like I did stuff at Gaza just because I like the people that ran that space and is it easy, you know, it's an easy club to just band, band show up and there's a PA and it's not totally filthy and everything's there. And it's and it's it's uptown too, which like as a local person, like as an actual local person that's from New Orleans or the greater New Orleans, you know, I've lived here almost all my life. Like I'm not enamored with like the downtown spots or like the sort of over romanticized like Marion Bywater, French Quarter. Be I don't care. Like it's boring. It's like a pain in the ass going down there, and you got to deal with a bunch of fucking chucklehead idiots most of the time. So it's like whatever. Stay down there. I guess I have one last question, and then we'll we gotta we gotta kind of show everything up here. You know, as a record store guy, what uh, like what have you what have you picked up lately that's really interesting? Maybe that's a little bit out of the box for. A record store guy. Um, I don't know. I just got this. I haven't even listened to it yet, but I just got this really awesome Belong record. Y'all know that band, Belong? They're they're from New Orleans. Uh, I've heard of it, but I'm not familiar. Yeah, they're they're not cranky. They sort of started as like a, a kind of ambient drone noise band, basically, and and then which I wasn't super interested in. 
but I'm friends, I'm friend, real good friends with one of the guys in that band. And then they did the second record, which is this like incredible dream pop record called Common Era. Awesome. It's so good. And then they had this other record uh, called Color Loss, this EP. And Mike Jones, the guy, one of the guys in the band, uh, did these covers where he did this like weird, like kind of Rorschach looking ink splotches on the cover and i think he i think he like did every cover by hand or something but uh i haven't dug in, into that one yet but i'm i'm actually real i, I look at it every time i'm in here i'm real excited about that so yeah i don't know that's that's something interesting and local that i'm i'm pumped on do you always, when people ask you that question you always try to keep it local no i mean just whatever i'm thinking about or listening to but like i go through spurts like the way i listen to music like i'm not uh like i'm not listening to stuff to figure out what to put in the shop or whatever or like necessarily like there's plenty of stuff i could i, I don't have enough money to get all the stuff i want in the shop so like i'm not i'm not i don't i don't need to find more shit that i can't afford it's more like, I, you know, I go, I go through these spurts where like, I'll have like one record or one artist that I just kind of obsessively com- compulsively have to listen to nonstop all day long for like a month till I, I'm like kind of burnt out on it and have to kind of go to something else. And, and a lot of times it'll be like, it'll be stuff I've listened to a million times, you know, the Smiths or Elliot Smith or, or Nirvana or whatever, like stuff I'll, I'll kind of have to sink my teeth back into and you know I'll, I'll just come in here and throw spotify on and put like elliot smith on shuffle and listen to it for like the six or seven hours i'm here every day for a month like not non-stop i mean i don't know those are just the kind of spurts i go through well uh, i want to thank you for uh coming on the show brian and you know like anytime you're available and interested uh love to have you back brother yeah, let me know, man. This is this is so short. The conversation I had, had with Rourke the other night was like three hours, and me me and him were just scratching the surface too. I mean, this kind of stuff, like uh, me and Andy were talking about the other day, like uh, it's so much better when it's people that you know and have a relationship with, and it's like you know I could just BS with y'all rather than like an interview person. Or maybe maybe the maybe the maybe the thing is like that you guys know me. And so you're willing to sort of like ask whatever you feel like asking rather than like an interview person who like is maybe uncomfortable asking something or has some like weird, broad, existential question that I, you know, I don't even know how to answer. I think it's like just a combination of both. And I, I don't know. I think there's there's also that whole kind of thing about just breaking, slowly breaking down that wall because we're because we're here. I, I don't know. I, I I agree. We can get a lot more places with longer run times, but uh, we we have like an hour. Me and me and Rourke didn't even talk about Val. We didn't even we didn't even we didn't even mess with the Val stuff. He wanted to talk about all the other bands I've been in. Sick. That's amazing. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, I appreciate you taking out the time. And uh, again, this is this is Brian Funk from Val, Mr. Brian Funk, Mr. Sir Brian Funk. That is, come on, Brian Funk Esquire. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Metal Matters. Make sure you like or subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Google, Spotify, Sticker, Amazon. To get the most recent episodes automatically delivered to your phone. Thanks for listening and catch you next week. 